I'm sitting here in Harry Brown's in the upstairs dining room at my my table, John. They they call this Ryan Miner's podcast table, and sometimes they have a uh, a paper um, reserve sign that that says my name, and I feel so special. Harry, Harry Brown's treats me very good. And what a great place it is to be treated well. What a great place. And if you look out the window, you see people sunbathing on the state capitol grounds, which is a much different setting in January when Governor Larry Hogan was getting inaugurated right about there. That's right. They switched it around because of the construction. Because of the construction. Well, I'm here today with, he needs no introduction in the Annapolis community. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is John Freday, and I'm the publisher of Ion Annapolis. Ah. It's a very, a very famous uh, site that uh, I am, I'm trying to to figure out how you have the time to do what you do, and I wanted to talk to you today uh, about a couple different items that are hot tickets. And John, why don't we why don't we first talk about what you do as far as your site? How would you classify us? Are you a journalist? Are you a, a blogger? Are you a disruptor? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll, and just we'll tell me how how you got started and uh, what what you've accomplished with your news site and your niche. Well, I, I consider us a news, events, and opinion website. And I am not journalistically trained, and I am very clear about that. I never have claimed to be a journalist. I did not go to school for journalism. Uh, I try to follow mm-hmm. the tenets of journalism, uh, and that's. Yeah, pretty much where it is. The, the site was actually started on a dare, if you will, 10 years ago. A dare. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, Tell us about that. Uh, who dared you to... Who dared there, you? There, there was somebody somebody local that turned around and said, well, I don't I don't think you could do what, what I've done. And you said, BS, I'm going to do this thing. And I, and I said, we could. So we, um, we started out actually is for about three days as crime in Annapolis, and I realized that was too, too, too tight of a scope of work. You and do- we expanded it to... Ion Annapolis, which was just pretty much all of the news that would be a blurred line of Anne Arundel County. So if, you, if you're familiar with Photoshop and you take that blur tool around the outline of Anne Arundel County, that would sort of be the area that we would look to cover. Do you do sports? Not as much as I would like to. And Are you a sports guy? I mean, do you per- a, not a huge sports guy, but I am a sports guy. Do you like sports? Yes, I do. So I love sports, but I don't really talk about sports on this show, although I'm thinking that maybe I should start if we want to really make some money doing this. That's, that's true. That's where it all, that's where it all is. Um, but, but similarly, I just don't have the time and uh, you know, to cover the state house. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that do that. I mean, obviously that you've done that this year, and I've enjoyed your podcast throughout, oh, the, thanks, John. throughout the session. Thanks. He is not paid to say that. He is not. No, there's no money here. There's, there's not no even, money. There's not even any booze here. There's so not any. Sure we could go make. I, I don't think that Harry Browns would mind if we went over and made our own drinks, but I'm not going to test that to the limit today. <laughs> John, what else do you cover on your site? What is it that you, you have? I was looking at your Twitter following. Mm-hmm. You have 53,000 Twitter followers. Okay. How did that. Um, that doesn't phase you. No, I mean, we, we, were lucky, we were lucky on some of our social media. We were at the right place at the right time for social media. And we do have the largest local social media following. We've got about 130 some odd thousand on Facebook on one of the pages, another 10,000 I think on another page, and then the Twitter following. And that's all you? You built that from scratch? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, some of it's been a uh, little bit of luck. I remember one time, one weekend I woke up, I had 10,000, uh, I guess they were called, maybe they were called fans, I can't remember what Facebook called them way back then. 
woke up one Monday and we went from 10,000 to like 17,000. I said, whoa, where did this come from? And we still don't know. And it, it, I think it may have been just an, you know, somebody that was associated maybe with the Naval Academy that was living someplace else that was well-connected and shared something. And that's where that got the bump. Do, um, do you, in addition to um, the podcast, what you do on the daily, right? You, right? you usually give a bit of, it's about 10 minutes long, and you talk about what's happening in Annapolis. And then you are often known for tagging other journalists in your Twitter sites and giving them credit where credit is due. Well, I, I do believe that. I mean, you know, the Capitol does a wonderful job uh, here in, in Annapolis. The Baltimore Sun does. And I mean, all, you know, all the papers, the Washington Post and everything else. And the Daily News Brief, which is the 10-minute podcast that, um, that you were talking about, that actually got started in uh, September of 17. So it hasn't been around too long. And the website was around a lot for a lot longer than that. Like I say, we're just celebrating about 10 years. And um, it was just something really quick, down and dirty. I mean, I, it's about 10 minutes. I don't say it is 10 minutes. Sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's 7. And it's just what I think is the top sort of stories around the area. I mean, sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's a bad accident that happened that shut down the Bay Bridge. Uh, sometimes it just could be opinion. Hmm. Uh, and when anytime there's breaking news in Anne Arundel County, do you try to be on the spot for that, or where do you? How do you cover that? I try. I try to get the information out. And if you remember when Patch was a thing, yes, yeah, so it's it's still a thing where I live in in Rock in Rockville, Gaithersburg. Yeah, it's it's still there. They don't have local people. It's done. It's you know aggregated out in the Midwest now, mm-hmm. the Annapolis area. And what I kind of where I kind of felt I fit in there was that. Um, I could turn around and say, hey, there's an accident here. Go a different way. Yeah. Hit and run, I'm out. And then all of a sudden, the patch can come in and they can say, oh, the car rolled over three times. It's a green Subaru and it hit the telephone pole and the telephone pole was number 32. And they can give a little bit more of information on the incident. And then the capital can come in because they've got the resources and they've got to be able to dig in. They say, okay, well, the driver was, uh, this is his fifth DUI. He blew up. Point five three and and so on and so forth and he's related to this person and, and whatever else and they can complete and build the whole story and then between the three you've got this giant story about what it is uh, that's sort of where I I felt I mean we're not hard hitting I mean sometimes things land in our laps sometimes we do get a breaking story sometimes we do get uh, information and everything else that's come there so I don't um you know and that's just sort of what it works out we want to talk about events we want to talk about uh, Main Street and I use that figuratively I don't believe in uh, big corporate entities. I don't believe in them all. Uh, So you take a, even though that you you practice journalism, you you take a position on some of these local issues, right? Oh, I always try to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I do have, I think everybody has a bias. I mean, you you get these, uh, you know, entities that say that, oh, we're not biased. Uh, Yeah, you do have a general bias. Um, You can be legitimate on it. I mean, I... You mentioned earlier the the Capital Gazette, and we all remember that horrific day in June of last year. We're approaching one year that the shooting where it yes. took the lives of five people. Horrific. One of the worst tragedies in, in Maryland journalism history, and any shooting is a tragedy. But on that day, how did you cover that story? Um, initially, I got three or four texts in, immediately saying, hey, something is going down over by the mall was the, was the description. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we found out what it was, we uh, you know initially went over to Twitter to find out if I could see anything as I was sort of making my way over there. And um, 
we were we were just there. We were trying to, you know, my concern was because I I formed relationships with a lot of the people that were at the Capitol Gazette. The re- the reporters. Yeah. Yeah. Is to see that these guys were, and I, I don't know that you know that they were on vacation or whatever it is, and, but I, I was looking specifically for them, specific people to make sure that they were okay or that they were they were fine. And then uh, it it got to a point where I realized that I I needed to stop thinking about that because now there were some names that weren't coming up. Right. And that's that's when it really sort of hit you know hit home. Did uh, you know any of the victims? Yeah, no. Wendy, Wendy Winters was a, a great friend of mine, and actually, we're resurrected. She did a thing called the PR Bazaar, yeah. where it was uh, local businesses and nonprofits could meet the press, and it could be new media, it could be old media, it could be everything else. And we're we're continuing it. We're yeah, continuing it with her uh, with her children and a couple other people in the community I- that wanted to do that. Uh, during the middle of the session, they were talking about some of the gun bills, and I had the opportunity to interview Andrea Chambliss, who is yep. uh, John McNamara's widow. Uh, is it was it's hard, it, and you know, even if you take off your journalistic hat, it's it's really hard to to have that conversation with someone who is clearly mourning the loss of their spouse, who went through a unimaginable tragedy that. You, you can't even put it into words how awful that was. And I think that day, um, especially, it hit me hard. I was sitting in my office in Rockville, and uh, I just I just remember I'm, I, I contacted a few of the reporters that I knew and said, are, are you okay? Um, but I, I watched that story in real time, like the rest of the country, the rest of the world did, John. And uh, it hit me hard. It really did. I don't think it hit anybody not hard. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. As, as and, 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 and it still stings. It still yeah. stings every single day. Well, um, hey, thank you. They were bringing us some water, so there thank you. Did you nice tea? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, John, what else, what draws you in about politics? You're in the state capitol where this is where the action happens for 90 days. It's the home of Maryland's government. You have front row seats to what's happening. How do you cover this? You know, I, I typically don't cover a lot of state government. Uh, there are certain big stories that do, and my focus really is on Anne County and Annapolis. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to get any larger than that. I don't think, I mean, you know, if, if the Orioles are in the playoffs or something like that, yes, we may go do that. When the Preakness runs, we'll go up to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll go up to uh, the race there. My wife would there. say that Preakness definitely belongs at Pimlico. Yeah. She is wedded to that. You know, there's there's tradition there. So I mean, we do we do cover the Bowie Bay Sox. So we've that's hmm. over in Prince George's County. So we're a little bit over the line. Um, I am very small. I don't have a lot of, uh, and that, that's that's figuratively speaking, not uh, not literally. Literally, it's, it's yeah. a different story. But uh, I don't I don't have the staff. We don't have the staff. We don't have the time. It's just you, right? Staff. Yeah, we don't have the ability to cover this. I, I just think what you put together is incredible, and that brings us to. Another idea that we discussed offline is the emergence of new media. We have institutional press that would include print journalism, would include you know, WBAL, the Daily Record, the Baltimore Sun, the Washington Post. Then there's guys like you and I, right? And, and sometimes we take heat from some of the more institutional press and even from elected officials or public officials, and they see us as second best to the institutional press. And I understand that argument. However, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the emergence of the new media now? Well, I think that it's, it, it has emerged. And I think that some, some of the traditional press and 
traditional media outlets that really sort of missed the thing. They hung on to a model that was becoming outdated. And what is that model? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I just look. I mean, sometimes I get press releases that will, you know, you know, it's it's, it's so traditional. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, fifteen hundred words. I'm like, dude, this is you know. And you're not reading that. No, I mean, I mean, nobody is reading this. And then the American consumer, whether it be whether you're buying a, <laughs> uh, you know, a refrigerator or reading news or whatever you're consuming, you got to get it in there. I mean, Christ, we're talking Twitter with 50, you know, 100 and, what's that? I mean, 182 characters, yeah, whatever, whatever it is now at this point. But I think they it wasn't something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what you've got to get down. I mean, I, I would read my news. That's what I walk my dog in the morning. Mm-hmm. I scroll through Twitter and I look at headlines. Oh, that looks interesting. Click, read it. Okay, fine. And I'm done. Um, you've got to get in there. You've got to grab the grab the attention and do it. And I think that a lot of um, traditional media didn't do that. They were still looking at long form. Uh, they didn't realize the uh, value of social media and the social sharing. And one of the things you look at, the um, there's a, a very popular web page or a Facebook page called um, Anne Arundel Breaking News. Mm-hmm. And events, and I mean, they've got a huge following, and they're primarily a, a, a scanner type of a thing. You know, hey, there's an accident, there's a shooting, there's whatever is going on in the police and the fire world, and, and other things. They do they do some sports and they do some weather and everything else. But I mean, they're hit they're hitting you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, you look at social media and how it's happened. I mean, if traditional media, um, television. We can go out and you've got to demand. You got to see how many people are actually watching at the time. Okay, it's a, to get your message out. Print. You've got deadlines. We're going to print it at nine o'clock at night or nine o'clock in the morning or whatever, and get out the get out the newspaper. So you've got to make sure somebody is able to read that. Social media now at this point, I can hit. You know, we t- you know talk between Facebook and Twitter and the, and the website. I can probably hit you know, one hundred and ten thousand people inside of ten minutes. And then the key thing is that I can tell you what they did. Um, did they just read the headline or did they go in and did they read the mm-hmm. story? Did they share it? Did they you know, tell somebody about it, which is something that's not really easily accessible through newspaper or magazine. What's your relationships with some of the press people? And and look, you you've also covered Mayor Gavin Buckley. Yeah. And you haven't always been on the the same side of the issues as the mayor, right? I mean, is that no. fair to say? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, and nor, nor with you know with Josh Cohen or Mike Panellini's or you know anybody. I mean, um, so how do you how do you interact with? Their agents, with their their press people. I mean, do they do they take you seriously? Do they they give you the scoop? Do they give you the information, or is it contentious? I've had because I know that some of my relationships where I have pushed back, and they'll say we're going to ignore this guy until we can't anymore, until I start writing hard heading news, and then they come back and say, well, maybe we should have given him uh, a quote. Well, I think that uh, initially it was like, okay. Who is this and what is this and uh-huh. where did it come from? I get that all the time. And which which is fine, and that's you know you'd be skeptical. I mean, you know, let's, I, I don't mean to pick on the capital, but the capital was the only name in town town here back yep. then. And now also, I was like, who is this? And and everything was at arm's length. Um, the old editor Tom Marquardt, it was, <laughs> it was funny. He would never never talk to me. Uh, he wouldn't return an email. He wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't return a phone call. But I know how that goes. When Steve Gunn came in, I was like the third call he made. He said, hey, let's go to lunch. I need to figure out whether you're a friend or an enemy or both. And and we met monthly. And what were you? What are you? Both. I mean, I mean, we're competitors, sure, uh, to a degree. But not, I don't, I don't consider. I mean, they have a staff of reporters that are, what, 10, 10 deep and, and photographers. It's just John doing and operating a, a, a truly public service and a, and a legitimate news site here in, in, in Annapolis. 
you're doing stuff that I think some of the reporters at the Capitol probably wish they could do. Well, I think that, it, I mean, I don't, I don't think they, they can. I mean, it's just a matter of will to, to do it. But uh, again, I think that, you know, once I got established in here, people started to realize that it was not necessarily, I, I wasn't this enemy. Yes, we're, I mean, you're going to compete with the, the Bowie Blade News or with the Baltimore Sun or the Washington Post. And, you know, you're, everybody's going to compete for a story right. and whatnot, um, which isn't that big of a deal. You, you put a little bit of a different spin on it and you move, and you move on. Um, but I, I feel that we should work together. I mean, as opposed to this animosity thing. I mean, if, uh, if I got a, a picture, if I happen to be okay, the Eastport tug of war, which is a big thing that we do here in November, uh, I could turn around and somebody could be on the Eastport side and somebody could be on the Annapolis side. I have no problem sharing my pictures with somebody else to it because they can't be in two places. Do you interview different politicians, elected officials, or is it just you? I mean, oh, you, you, I, I certainly will interview and we'll talk to them and we, we speak with their the public relations. But on your podcast? We have. Okay. We have. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got two podcasts, the Maryland Crabs podcast, which is a little bit of a longer form, hour-long, weekly thing. What's that about? Uh, it's about everything. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not there. I mean, we've talked to we've talked to Governor Hogan, we've talked to Governor or Lieutenant Governor. Um, You've interviewed the governor. governor? Yeah. That's great. Um, you know, we've talked to the different mayors and Peter Franchot had been on there a couple times. Uh, we jokingly say that we needed, like, we gave him a mouse pad last time. We jokingly said we got to give him, like, a Saturday Night Live jacket. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's different, different things. I mean, one of the things that really impacted me one time, I talked to a kid that was uh, a recovering heroin addict, and he told me about how he spent his yeah. summer night or his winter nights in the market house bathroom sleeping because he was homeless and this and that, and how he, was, yeah. he got a job now and everything else. It was great. Totally killed me. Real poor choice of words. Totally got oh. me a year later when I found out that he, he relapsed and he overdosed. Did he, um, did he pass away? Yeah. And, and, he, and he did. So, I mean, th- we, we've hit into the opioid epidemic. We've hit into homelessness. We've hit into crime. We've, uh, you know, how do, how do the police, how does the police work with the community? We talked to um, Commissioner Davis up in Baltimore City when he was uh, there. And we kind of jokingly say that no police chief should talk to us because they all get fired like within weeks after, <laughs> after we do our podcast with them. Well, that, with the the followers that you have comes a responsibility. And as someone who practices journalism, and I'm sure you take the ethics seriously, you got to get the story right. And have you have you always gotten the story right? Hell no. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean and, and, and when we screw it up, I mean, you sit there and you own it. Okay, we made a mistake. We, 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 we correct it. Um, you know, we... Make sure things that are identified as opinion are identified as opinion. If, if we've got a scoop on that and whatnot, um, I know that there's several different, uh, you know, aspects. I mean, I, I've got sources that I know that I would trust implicitly. Uh, I know if somebody calls me and tells me something, I know that that is that it's there. Um, and uh, you know, so I, it, it's just no. But I mean, we we screw up. The capital screws up. WBAL screws up. Everybody does. You you make the correction and you, and you move on. Uh, the intent was not to be. You know, harmful. Right. No, I mean, it's exactly. Um, John, biggest story in state politics in the last couple of weeks, two or three big stories. Of course, very sad, the death of Speaker Mike Bush, uh, who's been a longtime Annapolis resident. And Great guy. We, we, we actually had him on the podcast too as well, just, right. um, just before his, um, I think it was just before his liver transplant. Well, he he went through that, and uh, and I it it really sort of left a cloud over the last day of session, and 
you know, there's another big story now that you have featured on your show. There's a now, sadly, that the speaker has passed away. The Democratic Central Committee in Anne Arundel County has the responsibility constitutionally to choose the speaker's replacement. It has to be a Democrat because the speaker was a Democrat. Walk us through that process. And I also want you to walk us through some of the information that you shared yesterday on Wednesday, this, this Thursday afternoon now, about the replacement process and your take on it. Well, I think that uh, two things. As far as the covering goes, I mean, what, what we've covered is obviously Speaker Bush's death, um, the ceremony surrounding, you know, his, his final days here at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And then we turned around and what the Central Committee was doing, because they are constitutionally, as you said, Ryan, are constitutionally required to do this. And they've got a certain amount of days to put a name into the governor. And if they don't meet that deadline, the governor can actually pick any Democrat he wants that lives in the district to be the next delegate, which obviously the Democratic Central Committee doesn't want. The governor doesn't want to do that. The, the Central Committee, of course, forwards a name or they could forward more than one name and say, hey, pick from these three. Correct. So that, I mean, that's, that's the extent of the news that we covered there. Now, as this was all unfolding, I had gotten wind about some of the machinations that were going on behind the scenes as far as who should be the replacement for, and I, I don't want to say Speaker Bush, let me call it Delegate Bush, just to, because you've got that whole separate thing going on. Right. I mean, he was in leadership. This was a his, his delegate seat here in District 30A. Um, so there, there was, you know, talk about who should be the replacement for Delegate Bush. And as it became evident that there was work behind the scenes from the existing delegation, uh, Delegate Kane as well as Senator Elfrith, uh, and they had somebody that they thought would be a very good candidate. And they turned around and they've really been lobbying very hard. For and who is that candidate? And that would be Shanika Henson, who is an outstanding alderwoman for Ward 6 in Annapolis. She, uh, I don't want to say she came out of nowhere, but she grew up in public housing. She, you know, got out of public housing. She works up in Baltimore as an attorney. Uh, I believe she works for the state, actually. Uh, sharp woman. I, I met her in the primary for Annapolis. I knew that she was going to win that race, and she didn't. She's just been a very good alderman, alderwoman, excuse me, for um, the city of Annapolis. And she would be an outstanding choice, and I want to be real clear on that. Um, however, there are a lot of other people that are also interested in that seat, rightfully so. I mean, you've got some that don't have any right to be there. I, mean, I could apply for that seat. I'm doing, no, I, I don't know anything. I'm not qualified for anything. Uh, but there are a bunch of other people. But we're hearing that the fix, so to speak, is in for um, Shanika Henson. Do you think that's fair? I mean, who? Uh, I reported on Sunday that the... It, it, it appears, at least based on conversations that I've had with Delegate Kane and Senator Sarah Alfrith, that Shanika Henson is the, the, the their top choice, or they're favorable towards her. Now, they have been taking meetings that they've called meetings with other candidates, anybody who wants to, to, to come talk to them, that they will reach out. However... It, it appears, at least on the surface, that Shanika is the favorite, and there, and I have heard from multiple sources that they are lobbying the Central Committee members to appoint Shanika Henson. Is that fair, John? I, I, I have heard, I've heard the same thing that you have heard as well. Through your sources as yes, well? Okay. Yes. I mean, I don't know who your sources are. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. I'll go, like, breaking your car on the way out of here. <laughs> um, but no, 
I mean, I mean that's exactly exactly what I've heard, and I've talked to some people that actually had a meeting with um, with Delegate Kane, who you know were said that it was uh, you know I don't I don't think it's your time. I don't think you're you're quite ready yet for this. Um, which you know, as I said in my um, you know in my podcast, I said it was a uh, sort of rift there because how ready do you have to be? She has ninety days experience um, <laughs> as, as as a freshman delegate. Right. I mean, the, whomever is going to be appointed will essentially get a full term. Um, they they will go through three sessions, and then, of course, they can decide whether or not to run again. And they'll have the power of incumbency behind them as well. They, they, they will. Is, is it the, the delegation as far as making a statement together of for whom they have supported? They have not done that. Now, I've reached out to Senator Alfred and Delegate Kane, and they have said complimentary things about – Shanika, they have not said anything complimentary, um, so to speak, about other candidates. And I'm sure that they would say something nice about any candidate who pops in and say so and so. I we appreciate. I don't know what they. I don't want to speculate, but it it just feels exteriorly that from outside of the process, looking on in, that the the, the older woman from um from Ward Six is the prohibitive front runner at this point to replace the delegate seat that Speaker Bush once held. No, absolutely. And I, I don't think they're going to come out right and say, this is our girl. And I, I think that, that that would sort of show their, their hand, if you will. But they, they, are, they are indeed lobbying that. I mean, they've told people that, hey, we don't think you should run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is a story I'm getting from all of these other people that are effectively running. You've got people that are sitting there considering putting their name in. And that's the deadline has not happened yet. That's on the 24th that it needs to be put in by 6 p.m., but they're considering, well, you know, do I want to do this because the fix is already in? We've already been discouraged to do this. Now, and I did speak with somebody that was on the Central Committee, and uh, they said that the Central Committee is generally as a whole leaning toward the, um, you know, to, to go with the wishes of the delegation, of the remaining delegation. Now, the delegation, in fairness, they haven't come out again to say that they want the yeah. older woman from District 6. But it certainly sounds from their public statements that they've made, at least to me, that they're they're leaning towards that. Have what is the tone? What is the the feeling right now among the central committee members in Anne Arundel County? Patrick Armstrong is the current chair, and there are thirteen elected members of the Democratic Central Committee, meaning they put their names onto a ballot. The Democrats in Anne Arundel County elect them to serve on that uh, on that committee. And they are charged with the responsibility of making these decisions in the event of a vacancy. What do you, where, where do you think they're leaning towards? Well, as I said, I spoke with somebody that was on the committee, and they said that most of them are going to lean toward what the delegation would want. So, um, which presumably to me would mean Shanika Henson, which again I think is is probably a very good choice. Mm-hmm. However, there's a number of people that are in this race. Uh, who who's else? In, who who else have you heard is in the race? Um, Again, these are the ones that we've heard. We don't know who has actually submitted a an application, and that's due on the 24th. And mm-hmm. We're not going to put them up on their website until the 24th. Um, but I have heard that, uh, well, I know for a fact because he posted on Facebook, but former alderman Jared Littman mm-hmm. from the city of Annapolis, former alderman Ian Pfeiffer from the city of Annapolis is in there. Uh, Henry Green, who has run for delegate before, and he's been a uh, you know in the community for, for years and years, is in there. Um, Alderwoman Sheila Finlayson from the city of Annapolis has put her name in there. What about Chrissy Holt? 
Christy Holt has put her name in there as well. Now, who ran in 2018 in the primary? Did any of these people run in the primary? Um, no, Christy Holt ran against Sarah Elbert in the Senate race. Right. In the primary and, and she lost. Um, Aaron, Aaron Axe, who is the one that is actually, he's, he's also in there as well. He ran against, um, let's say, with, as a Democrat in the, in the most recent um, election. He ended up losing in the. Uh, Aaron was essentially third, third pick. Yes. In the pecking order. In 2018, he ran, he was behind Alice Kane by a few thousand votes. Correct. And Aaron, of course, is a, he's a Naval Academy graduate. He used to teach at the Naval Academy. He taught at Georgetown. He's um, a retired Marine Corps uh, officer, and he is uh, a Harvard Kennedy School government guy, someone who ran on his own accord. And uh, in, in these processes... Wouldn't you think that special elections would be another viable option? Without, without a doubt. I don't know why they do the appointment thing. And, and the city of Annapolis, and I mean, we can get into this if, if Shanika Henson is the one that's done. The city is going to have to have a special election. And the city charter says that if you have 15 months or less remaining in your term when you vacate the office, the central committee can appoint. 15 months or more, it has to go to a special election. And there have been situations where somebody has vacated the office and they specifically timed it uh, to have, have it appointed as opposed to have an election. Let's say it is Shanika Henson. Who would replace her in her ottoman seat? Could be anybody. Would it be the Central Committee who picks that? No. No, because it goes into a special, election. Into a special election. And that's just for the charter of the city of Annapolis. Correct. That's not the state. Has nothing to do with the state. No. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. But you mentioned about the, the third runner third runner-up, if you will, in, uh, with Aaron Axe, is that when, I'm trying to remember what it was, it was in the primary, just before the primary of last year, Delegate Sophocles passed away. Ted, Ted Sophocles, yeah. yeah. And um, he passed away too close to the primary to get his name off of the ballot. And Patrick Armstrong, who is the chairman of the Central Committee, was actually running as a delegate in there. And he lobbied pretty hard to have the, if Sophocles was somehow able to survive the primary and the general, or, you know, through the general, which he ultimately did, right. meaning, uh, yeah. and when I say survive, I mean politically survive with votes, um, that they should go revert automatically back to the next highest vote game. So in, essentially, if that same logic held in this particular race, that would then the seat would ultimately go to Aaron. I, I, I don't know what the results of the race were, but that was it to Aaron or whoever was the third place. I, I Aaron was the third place in District 30A. Yeah. So is he? Do you get a sense that Patrick Armstrong is abiding by that that same that, that on that same track? I don't. I don't really know at this point what what Patrick's thinking, but I just think it's kind of funny that it's uh, that was the that was the um, the pushback then when it somewhat impacted. Him. I put out a me- I put out a, a Facebook message to Patrick. We were supposed to have a call yesterday. Uh, he he may have gotten tied up. I, I haven't heard from him, but uh, I, I look forward to having a conversation so I could learn a little bit more about the process and and his thoughts as the chairman of the uh, the Democratic Central Committee. So, and it looks like they're going to decide on April twenty fifth on who will be selected. Right, and they're supposed to be interviewing all of the candidates. I'm Is it public? Is it something it, that it, you and I could show it, up to? Absolutely. I do plan to be there, and I actually will probably uh, stream it on my Facebook page or something like that if mm-hmm. anybody wants to look at it. But I think that uh, it is public. It's very strange that it's being held up in Gambrels, which is well outside. It's about 
12 miles outside of the district. Is that a problem? I don't know that it's a problem, but I mean, I think that uh, you want to have the constituents involved in it, and then Annapolis is not short of any places to hold meetings. Hmm. <laughs> um, no, they could have it right here at Harry Brown's. Yeah, I mean, so it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I mean, I guess it's convenient for the, maybe it's convenient uh, for the committee and it's a place that they normally meet, but I just think right. it's a little bit weird. Um, that they're having it having it that far out of town, but it is public. It is open, and what they're going to do, from what I understand, is going to go through a, a series of votes, and they're going to say, "Okay, we've got." And I've heard there may be close to twenty people that mm-hmm. will be here, and they'll sit there and say, "Okay, well, everybody vote for vote for who you want," and then the bottom vote getter goes away, and then okay, let's vote again of these candidates. Who do you want? And, and finally, you whittle it down, and maybe after you know. 10 or 12 rounds, they can turn around and say who it is. But uh, not the most transparent thing, if indeed you know they, they already have a preconceived notion of who they want. I mean, it doesn't really make any, any sense. I mean, you're not, you're not able to see exactly how that played out. Hmm. So next, let's see, the 25th is next, uh, Thursday. next Thursday. So a week from today, they're going to figure out who the next delegate from District 38 will be. And they say they claim that they're going to do that. There is a few. There are a few days of wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they have to decide or have a meeting or something like that later, they, their intention is to make that announcement the, and make a decision that night. And once the process kicks in, and once they they have thirty days to give a name to the governor, mm-hmm. so they've acted quickly. They've acted within their constitutional responsibilities. They're going to, I guess, presumably interview people in public. And then they're going to deliberate, likely in private. We're not going to be able to hear those discussions among the members of the Central Committee. Correct. Correct. Um, I mean, we can certainly... And then the public is not able to you know, offer any input, mm-hmm. any public input, other than submitting an email letter of support. Have you talked to any of the Central Committee members? I talked to one. That was, one? That was on there. Okay. Do you want to share who it is? No. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fine. Um, but yeah, no, and, and I think the, the other... A wrench in the works here is that Governor Hogan could turn around and say, I'd like another name. He could, but Not, I don't think that he would do that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's possible. He has done it in the past, I believe. I think he did it for a school board candidate, and I think he did it for a judicial candidate hmm. uh, that was put forward. He said, you know, I don't, it's not, I'm not rejecting this person, but I would like to see you submit another name so I could make a choice as opposed to make an appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether he, he might do that. John, what's the name of your website? Ionanapolis.net, and that's E-Y-E. E-Y-E, and your Twitter account is Ionanapolis? Yep, and we've got a couple of Facebook pages, and it's all Annapolis, as well as Ionanapolis for the two primary. What are some of the stories that you're covering this week, other than this this, this selection process oh, here? Oh, man, you're putting me on, putting me on, <laughs> putting me on the spot. No, I'm trying to give you a plug. Um, oh, I don't know, we've got a bunch of stuff with the, uh, with the county. I mean, of course, we had a horrible shooting up in Glen Burnie. Yeah. Um, which is uh, the Capitol uncovered the, the background of a judge that apparently made a really uh, bad call and not granted a protective order. Now there's a, a young man who looked like he had a brilliant future ahead of him dead. Um, and we're just going there. We're actually we're getting ready to go into a boat show season, so we're on the, <laughs> the leisure, uh, leisure side of that. The there's show. a lot of tours, too, I see down on Main Street today. I had... Uh, I had taken a walk down there earlier before we done the po- we, we, before we did the podcast today. It I'm telling you, spring has sprung and people love to come to Annapolis. 
It's. I wouldn't say it's been a particularly brutal winter, but it's nice to see the grass green, the trees there, and and people are out in shorts and flip flops, and it's it's nice. And there's berries. Yeah, because this is a Sperry town. Although, although I did see the most ugly pair of Sperrys down at the Sperry store down at the bottom of Main Street. Hmm. They were like gold lame. I'm like, really? But they, it's, were, they were on sale, no wonder. But, but being from Annapolis, John, you know that anybody will wear any sorts of sp- pairs of Sperrys. I have so many pairs of Sperrys at home, and I'm a kind of guy. I hate wearing socks, but I, I've committed myself to doing it. Um, but during the summertime, I don't ever wear socks, and my, my wife thinks it's hilarious, so... And we're a Sperry's family. We, do, you, do you come down for the sock burning? I, I, you know what? I didn't this year. I, I do want to get down for the sock burning. I heard it was fun this year. Um, but that is, isn't that the official kickoff of when you can no longer wear socks? That, that, is, that is what the story is. That's the and story. That, and it, it's funny because it's been a little bit of a, there's a little bit of an undercurrent there. There's some beer involved in that too. Oh, there's right? always beer involved. There's beer and moisture. <laughs> but, uh, there's, there's a little bit of an undercurrent. You've got two trains of thoughts here is that you've got that it is the original sock burning was just a bunch of working you know working boatmen that are that you know burn the socks and i'm tired of having all these shavings in my socks and everything else and now it's become an event and they're like no we like the days just we, we got there we opened up the six pack and we sat down there on the beach we lit the fire we burned mm-hmm. the socks and uh now there's bands and everything else but it, it is a good time the governor is down there the uh Anybody, who's who, who's who in town is there? And it's always a lot of fun down there at the Annapolis Maritime Museum. John, it's been a pleasure to get to know you today and to have this conversation. I do appreciate you spending some time this afternoon. And uh, I look forward to continue to read your stories on ionanapolis.net and to follow you on social media. And if you're listening here, make sure you visit Harry Brown's right on State Circle. They have an excellent menu. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best places to have dinner or lunch or grab a cocktail after work in their upstairs bar. I love Harry Brown's. Um, it's an Annapolis staple. Make sure you say hi to Rusty, uh, who's the owner. Um, my name is Ryan Miner, and it is a pleasure to be here today. Now that we are finished session, I'm going to do some more impromptu podcast with some Annapolis newsmakers and of course John you sir are a newsmaker you make the news you do you you uh, you bring it to people I'd love to do more stuff. this would be great yeah I'd love to have you uh, and get your perspective um, as much as possible so I'm, I'm hoping that we can maybe turn this into something more regular anytime yeah well thank you so much and you have a great rest of the week John